Turn with me, if you will, please, to the book of Hebrews. Some of you will think that we've already studied the whole of Hebrews. We almost did it this afternoon, but we're going to do it again. But I want you to turn to the book of Hebrews, and we turn to our our key text uh, for uh, this evening's message. Hebrews 3 and verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, uh, Jesus Christ. It's very interesting to note just here that really the words that come after this uh, are almost in parentheses until you get right down uh, to verse uh, 14 of the next chapter because you could almost say that really that's the following verse. Uh, Let me read it again and show you what I mean. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ to Jesus seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens Jesus the son of God let us hold fast our profession so you can see that that verse really follows on uh, chapter 3 and verse 1 now you will know that uh, my subject tonight is uh, concerning uh, the high priest we looked this afternoon at Jesus Christ the apostle of our profession and we're exhorted to consider him. And tonight we're going to seek to consider him the high priest of our profession. Uh, Let me begin by saying that this subject of the high priestly ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ is sadly neglected. Again, I would say to you, when did you last hear uh, about the high priestly ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ? It's also interesting to me to look into hymn books I'm not trying to criticise hymn books, but how many hymn books do you think have a section on it concerning the high priestly ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ? You will be hard put to it to try and find a section. I did actually look at this one uh, before we came, or this afternoon I looked at it, uh, to see how many would be in here concerning the high priestly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, it does have one. It says his priesthood and present ministry, number 34. And in that verse, I don't want you to turn to it now because I want to talk to you, but nevertheless, uh, you will you will see in that verse that really it's not too much about the high priestly ministry, rather that about Jesus who is the intercessor. Uh, any book you'll come to, any hymn book you'll come to, very, very rarely will it be actually mentioned. Now why is this? Isn't it such an important issue and an important subject in the Word of God? We make much of his birth and also of his life, and of course we should do. But what about his high priestly ministry? We make much of his death and the precious blood that was shed. We make much about the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We make much about the second coming of our Lord Jesus, and so we should. But it's just as important for us to lay emphasis where scripture lays emphasis concerning the heavenly ministry and present ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me remind you once again because I have said lots of things this afternoon and uh, some things will overlap but uh, nevertheless uh, repetition it seems to me is a good teacher. This book is a very rich book, no question about it. 
Uh, many commentators and good men have uh, said uh, that this uh, particular uh, book is uh, one of the most important in the New Testament. And I would go uh, along with that. And as I said this afternoon, I think I would favour Paul uh, actually wrote it, although there are good arguments for other people who actually wrote it. But most of all, of course, God wrote it. And so therefore we attribute this to the Holy Spirit himself. There are two main themes in this book. First of all, there's the preeminence of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus is greater than the angels, even though it was the angels who actually gave the law. Uh, he is greater than the prophets. And you think of all the great prophets of the Old Testament. He is greater than the leaders, including Moses, who is uh, acclaimed by the Jews as the number one, and, and, and Joshua as well. He's greater than them. In fact, he's greater than all of the Old Testament. Uh, and so the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ is portrayed in this book. But the second theme and main theme of the book, it seems to me, is the priesthood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to emphasize to you tonight that this is a vital aspect of Christ's overall ministry. And yet, the book of Hebrews is the only book in the New Testament that mentions the high priestly ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. We may get it by inference, but here you get it, of course, quite plain and uh, quite uh, plain. Now, what does it really mean, this high priestly ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ? And more than what it does it mean, how relevant is the ministry of the high priest to us? I want to try it if I can, and I hope I, I will be able to do it, to convince you that the ministry of the high priest, our Lord Jesus Christ, is so absolutely vital in every aspect of our, our own Christian lives. And if I can do that, well, I've done something good. Now, let me begin by saying that the first reference to this is in chapter 2. And so if you go back to that chapter, uh, you will see, of course, that uh, the chapter, uh, chapters were, were not inspired, where they should cut off and where they should begin. And it seems to me that chapter 2 should go on into that chapter 3, and uh, you, you will see why if you, if you read the last few verses of that particular chapter. But we go back to verse 16, which we did comment on uh, this afternoon. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. In other words, um, the seed of Abraham was chosen so that uh, the Messiah should come to and that should he should redeem his own people. And then verse 17, Wherefore, in all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succour them that are tempted. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. And then, of course, you come, uh, as we have seen already, right into chapter 4. And in chapter 4, it speaks there in verse 14, Seeing then that we have a great uh, high uh, priest. Now you will find that the high priestly ministry of our Lord Jesus is mentioned in chapter 7 
and it speaks about where uh, we have it and how we can have it and, and through Melchizedek and so on it's then mentioned in chapter 8 where it speaks about we, we have a, a better uh, high priest uh, and not only that but we have a better hope because of that and we have a better testament uh, because he is our high priest uh, we have uh, him as a better high priest altogether and it seems that in chapter 9 as well uh, which speaks of all the uh, various facts of the Old Testament and yet he is better than all of these things once again it really is about the, the high priest now I remind you again uh, that this book was written to Jewish Christians Jewish Christians who were in danger of going back uh, we know that uh, these people had drifted although I believe that they were firm Christians they were real Christians yet they were now becoming backsliders they were drifting back uh, to the old ways they wanted the ritual of the past they wanted the pomp and the circumstance of the past they wanted the law they wanted all the various things of the past uh, and so the writer here writes and speaks to them that we have something far more in Christ uh, it's something that's perfect it's something which is far better and remember I said to you that that word better is mentioned some 13 times in the, in the particular book he is greater, he is better and, and the things which we have in him is far far superior uh, and uh, he, he points out that the Old Testament sacrifices really were bankrupt uh, bankrupt because the ritual and the ceremony is finished and they were only meant to be shadows they were only meant to be uh, types now the substance has come you can't have uh, you can't have uh, uh, the substance and the types together the type was only meant to uh, point towards the substance and Christ is the substance if we have the substance we don't need the types uh, we don't need the pictures of the Old Testament they've done their work and they've all now been fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ and so what we have in Christ is Christ the high priest who is a perfect high priest who is a powerful high priest who is a perpetual high priest he's a high priest forever and forevermore the one who can lead us to God the one who can forgive us our sins the one who can help us in the time of need I suppose the title of our, our message tonight must simply be the words of scripture our great high priest and he is a great high priest there's no question about that and we must understand that what have we today the only thing that we can boast of if that's the right word and we can uh, certainly enter into is that we have a great high priest and that of course is our confidence and our assurance now in the New Testament the word actual priest means a mighty one a sacred person a person dedicated to God and Christ is all that to the believer now there are seven priesthoods in scripture I don't know if you know that but let me just if I can go through them the first one is sometimes a little controversial and people don't fully understand it I think the first priest in the Bible is the Lord God himself in the Garden of Eden you remember how the, the couple sinned against God and fell short of the glory of God there 
When a man sins in that way, and when man becomes estranged from God, as they did, and when they have to hide themselves because they're conscious of their sin, they need a priest. Now how? How can they have fellowship at all with God? And what can really happen? Well, is there a picture there of the second person of the Trinity? The Lord God is walking in the garden at the cool of the evening. How can they have fellowship without a go-between, a priest? It seems to me that the Lord God himself was the priest. And how remarkable if you understand that and you can take it in. Now, the second priest was the head of the families. You remember the um, uh, controversy with uh, Esau and, and, and his brother Jacob and what took place and the deception and all that concerning the story. Uh, what really happened was it was a battle over the birthright. What was the birthright? It was the priesthood of the family. So that was a priesthood in the Old Testament. The third that we have in scripture is Melchizedek. You'll remember Melchizedek was a, a, a mysterious figure that came on the scene to Abraham, didn't he? And Abraham paid him tithes and gave him abeyance. And you know the story about Melchizedek and so on. Many people think that it was Shem who actually came. He would have lived at the same time as Abraham at that particular moment anyway and he would have been around in some measure or someone and we know that he was a very godly man. But we do have to say that surely this must have been one of Christ's theophanies or pre-appearances and that it was Christ himself who was Melchizedek because we know that later on the order that Christ had in his priesthood was the order of Melchizedek which was a different order altogether uh, than the order uh, in the uh, Israelites, which we will come to in just a moment. The fourth order of, of, uh, uh, of priests was Aaron himself. And of course, we'll understand that a little more as we go on to studying this this evening. Uh, but the, the fifth order was the nation of Israel. Have you ever realised that God intended that the people of Israel should be a nation of priests. You'll remember later on, Peter takes up the same words concerning believers, doesn't he? And he speaks about a holy nation, a royal priesthood, and so on. Uh, and, and there's four descriptions, isn't there, there? He borrows the words from Exodus, of course. And really, that was applying to Israel. That was God's intention. They should be in a nation of priests. But they failed, of course because of their disobedience and so therefore they lost the privilege of that and you and I this is the sixth order now and, and the sixth order here is all believers we are those who believe in the priesthood of all believers and we know that the word of God teaches that we don't agree with the prayer book the prayer book is very good and lovely and no doubt has some lovely words in it uh, but we don't believe in the prayer book when it speaks about the priest shall say and then the laity shall say no we don't believe in that there is one order of priesthood amongst believers and that is our priesthood we are kings and priests unto our God and at this very moment if we are believers washed in the blood of the lamb and born again of the spirit uh, then you and I are priests unto our God to offer up spiritual sacrifices and we must do that and then the seventh order, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ, our great 
high a priest and surely tonight as we think about that it must be wonderful to understand and to realise and to appreciate that we have a great uh, high priest now let me say to you that the, uh, during the time uh, when other priesthoods were here on the earth uh, that there were many false priests there was the priests of Baal who would come forward in their glowing robes you know, they worship the sun and that's part of the, the reason what happened with uh, with Elijah and so on. And their robes had pictures of the sun o- over them and, and they were the priests of, of Baal. And also there were many other false uh, priests. You remember Jeroboam. The sin of Jeroboam was a false priesthood, really. And of course there were many other occasions uh, when when this actually happened as well and God condemned that and the judgment of God would come uh, upon it you know we do have a hymn in our hymn book at home which I, I love and many of you will know the words a good high priest is come dispensing life and grace and then another verse says doesn't it uh, I other priests disclaim their laws and offerings too none but the bleeding lamb the mighty work can do what a glorious fact that is and I love that hymn because it really gives us what the fullness of the priesthood of our Lord Jesus Christ is well now what I've been saying so far is really by way of introduction but bear in mind what I try to point out to you this afternoon uh, that we are to consider these things and four times in this book it speaks about consider and uh, the first and the last of those which are most important is consider the apostle and high priest of our profession and the last one is consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners what are we to do tonight? we're to consider him and that is our object, that is our aim that should be our focus uh, to consider him we've considered him as our apostle that's his humanity while he was here on earth the work that he accomplished and what he did on our behalf but tonight we're thinking of consider him the high priest of our profession and if we consider him we will see what responsibility and reaction we should have to that so the first thing that I want to say is that we must recognise this high priest now I want you to see in in chapter 4 and verse 14 I, I say as I did this afternoon every word in the word of God is uh, inspired seeing then now if you consider the Lord Jesus can you see him you know we must have spiritual eyes to see and surely if we have spiritual eyes to see it will grip our hearts it will excite us our religion is not a dull religion no not at all let's be free from this dullness about religion why our religion is exciting religion you know seeing who are we seeing we're seeing him who is our high priest hallelujah we can see the great high priest can you see him I want you to see him in your mind's eye tonight and to understand who he is and then we go on seeing then that we have a great high priest now you'll notice of course it doesn't say we had but he died and it was finished no it doesn't actually say we will have in the future because of course there's great things going to happen in the future no this is possessional now we have a great high priest and that's the thrill of it and that's the empowerment of it 
and that we know tonight within our hearts and lives we have a great high priest. You know this is the greatest possession you can think of. Oh, I know all the other things are important that we say but my friend, you think of this. Because we have a great high priest so many other things fall into place and we can understand other things if we know this. Let me then speak to you first of all about the necessity of this. We're thinking of our recognised high priest, Jesus. So first of all, how necessary is this? It seems to me that man has always had a need for a, a priest, estranged from God, afar off. These are words which we, we're familiar with, and that was our situation, that was our, our position. There is a need for a go-between, so that we might come unto God, to bring a person to God and to bring God to the people and that's what the high priest's job really was the pagan cultures had most powerful priests who controlled uh, the, the, the people in their minds and in their consciences that's exactly what the Roman Catholic priests do today with knowing the secrets of people and, and their uh, substituting their, uh, their pernicious substitution, uh, superstitions rather. And that's exactly what the Roman Catholic uh, priests do. But in the Old Testament, we know that people needed a priest, and I need a priest, you need a priest, to bring us to God and to bring God unto us. But in the Old Testament, of course, you understand that uh, the priest uh, came from uh, one tribe, and the high priests came from one family. It must be of Aaron's family. There were seven functions of the priests. And I want to try, if I can, just to go through them quickly. First of all, a priest would be a mediator. I've said that about taking hold of the hand of God and taking hold of the hand of man and licking them up. That was the job of the priest, you see, and the high priest. And so Jesus is our mediator. He is the daysman, the go-between. And then the second job, of course, for the priest was the sacrifices. It's interesting how a man would have to bring a sacrifice to the gate of the tabernacle. He himself would have to slay him. And it had to be an animal from his own fold, from where he, 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 he brought the animal up. It would cost him something to do that. Could you imagine coming yourself and bringing an animal and doing that? It would cost you something. But that sacrifice had to be made and then given to the priest. And the priest would sacrifice uh, that animal. And we know that the Lord Jesus not only sacrificed, but he sacrificed himself, uh, which was most important for us to understand. And then the third thing of the priest would be intercession. It's strange, really, uh, that there wasn't many people who would pray in the Old Testament. We know some uh, great examples, uh, but the majority of people relied upon the priests to pray on their behalf. And so they were intercessors. And one of the jobs of our Lord Jesus Christ, is it? He is the intercessor as the high priest. Is it wonderful to imagine this in your mind? Someone said to me last night, last week rather, in, in America, how can the Lord be our intercessor? And I immediately uh, gave an illustration for it. And, and it's something like, something like this. And perhaps this will help us a little bit. A little girl is expecting her daddy home. And the little girl thinks she's going to make her daddy a, a bouquet of flowers. And so she goes around the garden and she picks all sorts of flowers. 
and she comes to her mummy and says, Mummy, look at this lovely bunch of flowers I'm going to give to my daddy. And the mother looks at it and she sees bits of grass in there and a few weeds here, there and everywhere. And she says, oh, that's lovely, that's wonderful. Let, let me take them and, and, and let, let's see what we can do. We don't want to give him that really because that's just grass. We don't want to give him that, do we? Because that isn't very good or that. And I tell you what, we'll go and pick some more. And she goes and picks some more and now it's a lovely bouquet. We come to the Lord Jesus Christ in prayer. He's our intercessor. And he receives our prayers at all our imperfections. All the things we ask for, which we ask amiss. And they're like weeds and they're like grass. And the Lord takes them out and plucks them out, you see, just like this. Then he adds all his own prayers and he presents them unto the Father. Because they're our prayers that he's presenting unto the Father. He's our intercessor, you see. And all the prayers that the Lord Jesus gives are answered. They are all answered. Not our prayers, because we ask amiss very often. But all the prayers that the Lord Jesus offers are answered. We know that John chapter 17, for instance, is of course the uh, passage of scripture which is the high priestly prayer. You go through that chapter, that they may know thee, whom to know is life eternal. That's answered in each of our experience. That they may be kept that they may be with me. And every time a Christian dies, it's in answer to the prayer that is uttered there, that they may be with me to behold my glory. Every time a Christian dies, is in answer to that prayer. And sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And many, many others, of course, that I mentioned there. Isn't it wonderful to have an intercessor who knows that? We're not relying upon what we can do or what we can do, but what he does on our behalf. How remarkable that seems to me. And then, of course, another office or, or job of the priest was to lead the people. You remember in the, in the wilderness how the priest would always go to the front carrying the Ark of the Covenant, the very symbol of the presence of the Lord. And there it was at the front. And they would carry that and they would lead the people through the wilderness. Our great high priest is our leader. And then there was another thing that they did and that was to blow the trumpets. You remember the, the ram's horn in time of war. If you've, if you've heard a, a, a ram's horn, it's an awful, eerie, terrible noise. Uh, and it would frighten the life out of you if it, if it was played in here tonight. It really would. But that was needed. Because here's these vast number of people and the rams all would blow out. And I can tell you, the people would hear it all right and they would be ready for the war. And then the silver trumpets at the time of the feasts and the festivals and the time of Jubilee. And as they would be played, how wonderful, there were two of them, how wonderful that would be as they would be played out. This was the job of the priests. How wonderful. And what a privilege it was for them. They counted it a great privilege. Uh, to be able to, to blow the trumpets uh, upon those particular uh, times. The sixth thing that the uh, priest had to do was to teach the people. They were the teaching. There were occasions, wasn't there, in Israel when they were without a, a, a teaching priest. And the priest would teach. And later on the rabbis would teach. But really it was the priests who would teach in the synagogues and the main school of the land would be in Jerusalem in the temple. It was the teaching priest and their teaching came from them. 
And then uh, one last thing, and that was uh, the priest and the high priest would comfort the people. They knew that if they were near the priest, that's all they would need to be, near the priest, uh, they would receive a blessing. And of course on one special day, it would be the Day of Atonement, after the high priest had gone into the holiest of all and sprinkled the mercy seat seven times with the blood, and then he would come out and put again on his glorious garments. Uh, around his hem would be the pomegranate and the bells. And they would listen and listen. And suddenly uh, they would hear the joyful sound, as the psalmist calls it. And it was a joyful sound of the, the bells ringing uh, around the hem of a high priest's garment. And they knew that they would be ransomed, healed, restored and forgiven for another year. And now they're waiting desperately. And what are they waiting for? The high priest to appear. Something like the coming of the Lord, isn't it? We're waiting for the coming of the Lord, to see him in his glory, in his majesty, in his might. We can hear the sound of the bells. Why? Because redemption has been accomplished and God has accepted the sacrifice. But we're waiting for the high priest to come out from within the veil. We're waiting for him to come in his glorious appearance. And they would wait. And the high priest would come and lift up his hand. The Lord bless thee, Lord keep thee, the Lord make his face to shine upon thee. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And that was the blessing of the high priest. And so, of course, it was the blessing that the priest would give and only Christ can bless. I know that it's a modern idea that people will say, I want to bless you. Rubbish. It's only the Lord can bless me. And always remember that. It's only the Lord. We can be means of blessing. We can be channels of blessing. No question about that. But it's only the Lord can bless. Because he is the great high priest. How wonderful it is. Now another little point here and that is the priest could never be king. We understand that there's only one who would be prophet, priest and king and that's Christ of course. But the priest could never be king. Why was that? Because he was a counterforce, if you understand it, <coughs> he, he would offset the power of the king. So here was the king with all his power in the nation. Ah, but the priest had his say. And he was a counterforce a, a, against that. Alas, there were occasions, many occasions, when the king failed and the priest failed and God sent a prophet. And whatever you read of a prophet in the word of God, you'll know that the prophet is always indicative of the fact that the people had gone astray and had gone and become a backsliding uh, nation. Now, I'm not getting on very fast, but I must carry on. Uh, what I've spoken to you about tonight is he's the recognised high priest, the necessity. And the second thing is the name. This is very important. Again, look at with me 4 and 14. Seeing that we... Uh, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Jesus the Son of God. We know that Jesus is the human name. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people uh, from their sins. But the Son of God refers to his deity, doesn't it? And to his power. This is suitable for the office of the high priest, that he was man and yet he was God. We have to ask ourselves the question, and this is an interesting question, when did Jesus actually become the high priest? Well, some will say at his birth. Other people will say at his baptism. This is my beloved son, 
hear him at the transfiguration or perhaps on the cross or what about the ascension he lifted up his hands to bless them and then others will say no it was at the presentation of the precious blood to the father or maybe another question or another solution would be no it's timeless he always was and always will be the actual high priest yet it seems to me and, and I want you to try and follow this with me it seems to me that it never could have been in his lifetime you see here he was the prophet that is why the two descriptions are given in our key text consider him the apostle and high priest of our profession why is two, two things because in this life he was the prophet and as the prophet he never donned the clothes and robes of the priest he never entered into the sanctuary <coughs> he never worked at the brazen altar he never washed at the laver he never was a servant at the table or the lampstand or the altar of incense he never it seems to me physically was before the ark of the covenant in the holiest of all never, never happened but what do we read in verse 14 of chapter 4 again seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens that is passed into the heavens <coughs> it somehow reminds me of the high priest of the Old Testament on that day of atonement <coughs> excuse me on that day of atonement how that he would go to the holy, uh, holy place and in the holy place he would take off his garments of beauty and of glory and put on linen garments and then when he had done that he would pass in to the holiest of all through the veil and he would then do the work of atonement now he was only a high priest at work when he was actually doing that in reality so here is the Lord Jesus Christ crucified upon the cross at Calvary he has risen again from the dead but what has happened he has passed into the heavens he's passed through the veil and today he is our high priest so when he was here he was our prophet he was our apostle but now tonight he is our high priest uh, in heaven and that's what I believe that it really means and somehow this seems so wonderful to me that in his life he was our apostle and today is our high priest and we look for him to appear as our king and we wait for him to appear as our king now we've seen the necessity and we've also seen the name but I want to give you just a little bit about the nature of this high priest as well if you turn to chapter 5 uh, from verses 1 to 5 uh, you will pick out one or two things about him uh, for every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in the things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity and by reason hereof he ought as for the people 
so also for himself to offer for sins. And no man taketh this honour unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron, so also Christ, glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee, as he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, it's interesting in those verses, you'll see that the high priest was confirmed of God, that he was compassionate. No angel could be compassionate. Have you ever thought of that? If an angel came here, he wouldn't have the compassion or feeling that we're talking about him. But here is one who is touched with the feeling of our infirmity because he was the apostle. And because he was the apostle, he's touched with the feeling of our infirmity. And he knows what this really means about. And he's concerned for man's plight, those who are out of the, out of the way. Uh, without these qualifications, if we may say that, then the high priest could not function on behalf of sinners. And what these, these verses speak to us, he understands the nature of man. And Christ enters into our life. And he appreciates our problems, our needs. And he understands all about these things. You know, it said of uh, Henry uh, Lawrence of India, uh, who was in charge of our forces in India, of the great mutiny, that he was the man who could solve a problem. And they said, how could he solve a problem? Well, they said, he looked to heaven and then to earth and he knew what to do. That was the Lord Jesus. He looked to heaven, he looked to earth and he knew what to do. What a glorious fact tonight for each one of us. He is in heaven for us. We are on earth for him. There's one in heaven that pleads my cause while I'm here on earth seeking to plead his cause. There's one who prays for me in heaven and I'm on earth praying to him. He's there for us that we might be here for him. And then another point that I want to make here is the nearness of this high priest. We go on in our verses in chapter 4 and verse 15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, and yet without sin. I wonder if we understand this verse really. What it again means is that he understands us and he's near to us. At this very moment, the high priest is near to us. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our, our infirmities. He knows all about it. He was tempted in all points like as we are. Is that quite remarkable? It is, isn't it? I mean, you think of the temptations that you and I have. My, how various and how strong and how awful some of these are. And we look back and we say, oh, how dreadful. the tempt But he was tempted in all points like as we are. Now, let me, if I can, just remind you that in the book of Genesis and, of course, chapter 3, we have Eve tempted there, don't we? And maybe we ought to just turn to that just for a moment. And Genesis in chapter 3, and I'll just read to you a part of the verse or a verse there, 
uh, which is verse 6. 3 and verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. You know, what happened there is typical of all temptation. Let me show you what I mean. There are three things mentioned in the New Testament. First of all, there's the lust of the eyes. Well, you look at that verse, and the, uh, in verse 6, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, she saw, didn't she? That was the lust of the eyes. It was pleasant to the eyes. And then there was the lust of the, uh, of the flesh. That's described as the tree was good for food. That was the lust of the flesh. And then after that, there's the pride of life. What is, where, where is that? And uh, the tree, uh, sorry, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was present to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. That is the pride of life. Now, come over into the New Testament and I'll just try to quote this to you. Remember in Matthew chapter 4, and in Matthew chapter 4, we have the temptation of our Lord Jesus Christ in the wilderness. You know the story, you know all about it. What was he tempted with? Well, first of all, the lust of the eyes. He showed him the kingdom of the, the kingdoms of the world. That's the lust of the eyes. And then the lust of the flesh. What was that? Command these stones to be made bread. And then the third thing is the pride of life. Cast thyself down from the temple. So the three things which Eve was tempted with, and all of us are tempted with exactly the same, then Jesus was tempted with all of them. Tempted like we are, and yet without sin. Marvellous, isn't it? He was tempted like we are. And, and that is why it seems to me that he's near to us, touched with the feeling of our infirmities. That word touched is an intimate word. And, and, and he's that close, you see. He's touched with yours, with mine. How wonderful is this wonderful, wonderful high priest that we have. So I must pass on. I've only done one point. I won't keep here after 12, I promise you. But the second thing that I, I, I want to speak about here is that he is the rightful high priest. In the Old Testament, you'll understand that the priesthood was not open to anyone. It was only of the tribe of Levi, and that began at Sinai. Remember when Moses went into the mount to receive the tables of the law and the instructions concerning the tabernacle? How that, when he came down, he heard the, the noise of their dancing and so on, and they had made the golden calf, hadn't they? And it was a very sad point in Aaron's life. Uh, he failed and the sad point in Israel's life they failed and you remember that Moses stood at the gate of the camp and said who is on the Lord's side let, them, let him come unto me and we know what the next part says and the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him from that moment onward the Levites were in the service of God and from that moment onward they were to be the tribe of the priesthood quite remarkable it seems to me at that point and so all who were born of the tribe of Levite were born priests it wasn't their wisdom it wasn't their wealth it wasn't their work that entitled them to, to that it was simply that they were born in the tribe of Levi 
But Christ came of Judah. And Judah, of course, was the kingly tribe. And you can study it for yourself in this book of Hebrews because it mentions all about it. And so here he is, he comes from the kingly tribe, he's of, uh, and he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek, and as a king he has power with men, as a priest he has power with God, he's the different one. And his priesthood is of the power of an endless life. I love those words, don't you? The power of an endless life. He never dies. The priest would always die, sometime or other, and they all died. But he remains forever. Why? Because he's a priest. First of all, his exaltation. Look at chapter 5 and verse 4. No man taketh this honour unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. The interesting thing here, that the same one that called and appointed and anointed Aaron, appointed the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, there were many priests who were chosen and men. And they always ended in disgrace, like Ananias and Caiaphas. Christ's priesthood exceeds Aaron's. It's the priesthood of Melchizedek. The appearance there of this mysterious figure, which I've already said to you, I think, was the Lord himself. It was Christ, it would seem to me. He was the king of Salem, the king of righteousness, which really showed that the old order was finished. This is a perfect order, the order of Melchizedek. That was the exaltation. But what about the experience? Look again at chapter 5 and at verse 7 and 8. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears, unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. You know, those verses, if you study them carefully, shows the sufficiency of God to keep him in the days of his flesh. In his flesh he made prayers. Look at the times Jesus prayed. And supplications. But he made prayers and supplications at every crisis period in his life. In Gethsemane, that's why it mentions there strong crying and tears. That was Gethsemane. And then in Calvary, he faced death with all its fears. And that's why fears are mentioned here. Uh, able to save him from death in, in that he feared. The fears of death were upon him as the psalmist described it as well. And he experienced all that for his children. That throughout it all, he himself learned obedience. Again, mysterious things out of the word of God and yet glorious facts. And then uh, finally you'll see there the exploits as well. Verse 9. And being made perfect. Being made perfect. He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Made perfect. Wasn't he always perfect? He didn't sin, did he? Wasn't he always perfect? Ah, yes. But what this word means, actually, it means exalted. He was made exalted. He was exalted to glory, the right hand of God in heaven, wasn't he? And now he's the author, because he's in that exalted position, the right hand of God. He's the author of eternal salvation for us. 
this isn't just a salvation for a year where sins are covered and then they have to be covered every year continually by the blood of bulls and beasts. No, much richer blood has he. Uh, our salvation is an eternal salvation. He is a rightful uh, high priest and, and, and the writer says here how that this is, is great. And certainly he's a great high priest to us, isn't he? Uh, that word is used a number of times. For instance, uh, in chapter 2 and, and verse 3, isn't it? Or something like that. You, you remember, I think it's verse 3. It, it speaks of neglecting so great salvation. Isn't your salvation great? And then, of course, in chapter 4, verse 14, we have a great high priest. And then in chapter 13 and verse 20, the great shepherd of the sheep. You see, here's a superlative, isn't it? We don't need to use superlatives when we're talking about Christ. But we have to, because of course he is a great high priest. And his salvation is great. And he is the great shepherd of the sheep. The Lamb of God that bore away our sins. Our surety, our substitute, our saviour. But now he's the conqueror in heaven. He's passed into the heavens. And he's a conqueror in heaven, sitting at the right hand of God. And ready to meet our every need. My, we ought to say hallelujah to that. Because he is our great high priest. Now you've borne with me a long time, but I tonight I have a burden on my heart about this. He's the recognised high priest. He's the rightful high priest. And now finally and briefly, he's the receptive high priest. The receptive high priest. What, what do I mean by that? Look at, again at chapter 2 and verse 17. Wherefore in all things it behoved him to be, made like, to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of his people. And then our verses in chapter 14, as we go on in verse 15, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, uh, uh, we are yet without sin. How wonderful. He exactly meets our needs. He's ready to hear us and to bear us. He's able to help us. He's willing to strengthen us. He has compassion and caring as our high priest. Look again at his character. Chapter 2 and verse 17, I emphasize the word, a merciful and a faithful high priest. You know, often people have the idea that God is the author of all condemnation and judgment on this world. Well, of course, we believe in the judgment of God, but you know, the Bible emphasizes that he's a merciful and a faithful high priest. It means he's kind, he's generous, he's gracious, he's merciful in the things that pertain unto God. How wonderful he is. How marvellous that our high priest is that. And what about his conduct? Well, chapter 7 and verse 25 tells us a little bit about that as well. It's in the same context, of course. And, and there, where, wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. That's the high priest. He's able to save, isn't he? And, and of course, he's able to succor. That word comes, of course, in chapter 2 and verse 18. The word succor means to help in distress. And there's only one person who can succor us, and that's the Lord. He's the one who can help us in time of death. And he can satisfy us as well, can't he? 
again to uh, to quote as I did this afternoon uh, W.H. Uh, uh, Thomas uh, Griffiths Thomas he says as the mediator he reconciles as the advocate he uh, restores as the priest he sustains us and so he does final thing the conviction if we know this what do we do about it what do we do about it well I want to show you look again please with me and, 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 and see in verse 14 seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens Jesus the son of God let us hold fast our profession and then in verse 16 let us come therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need you know here's two of the let us you know in the book of Hebrews uh, someone has said that we could have a lettuce sandwich and we have let, it, let us occur many times look at verse, chapter 4 verse 1 let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us and then in verse 11 let us labour and then of course in verse 14 let us hold past the procession and in verse 16 let us therefore come boldly and you go on to chapter 6 let us go, uh, go on unto perfection and there, there are others as well which, which you can find in this book this is a demand actually it's not just a, a good idea it's a demand and what is it? what is it? seeing if you know this high priest in this way let us hold fast our profession our confession let's hold fast it don't let it slip don't let's uh, you know drift in our lives and we are in danger of that ourselves we're in danger of letting go and in danger of giving up don't do it there's nothing better than having this great high priest there's nothing better in the whole world than having this great high priest that, that we have and also because we have a great high priest don't be shy let us come boldly under the throne of grace and why? because we find grace to help in time of need and we may obtain mercy the two things that we need is mercy and grace that's sufficient for the rest of our lives and for all eternity and where can we find it with our great high priest but where is he just last one verse chapter 13 and verse 13 a well known verse but let's read it and enjoy it let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp bearing his reproach are we prepared to do that let me just read you two verses of a, a hymn Christ bears the names of all his saints for them death's night he braved he holds them on his shoulders strong and on his heart engraved tis here my weary soul finds rest though I am frail the while I read my name upon his breast enjoy my father's smile we have a great high priest.